We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, both past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. Welcome to Contenders, your rundown of the news in sport, produced by Swinburne's The Standard. I'm your host, Ben Millard, and on today's episode, we're covering the need to know for English women's soccer. Later, we discuss the run into the upcoming ICC Men's T20 World Cup. First, we have Jess and Marielle to give us an overview of the start of the Barclays Super League season. So the Women's Super League in England is currently running and it is the highest league of women's soccer in England. It's the fourth season of it running and its current leader is Arsenal with zero losses and four wins. Currently, Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal, both North London teams, are rivals maintaining their 100% records. Arsenal is looking to have a great season after their astounding win 5-0 against Manchester City where four players, including some of this season's top scorers, Vivian Medema and Kim Little, who scored two goals. Yeah, so it's it's um we're sort of like at the end of match day four for the 2021-22 season. So sort of it's still at the beginning of the season for the Super League, but already like we can start to see some really shining and standout performances. This season is a big one for the Super League. The The pandemic is not over. However, the Super League is moving from sort of a survival mode where they're trying to keep afloat both finances and, and safety-wise to a sort of more jubilant season. We're looking at more growth instead of, yeah, survival. And the anticipation is definitely, like leading into the season was is definitely quite high. There's a brand new broadcast deal for the Super League, which gives it sort of unprecedented showing across TV screens in England. So there's a minimum of 57 live games across Sky and the BBC. And 18 of the 22 games that are being shown on the BBC are going to be either on BBC One or BBC Two. So it's really good to see that they're not just throwing games onto, you know, sort of throwaway channels, that they are sort of being given that main showing. Yeah, it's a season that a lot of people have been waiting, like, you know, upwards of two years for. Lifting of restrictions means that there's sort of a glimpse in the light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of these clubs. You know, fans are going to be filtering into the grounds again, which is like always good for any sport, any game. Absolutely. And I think a lot of this um, investment from big corporations and big deals, I guess, that are following along with all of that have really, I guess, inclined a lot of players to jump onto this Super League, especially for the 2020 season. And a lot of the players did state that investment into women's soccer in Europe was a major contributing factor. We have a lot of Australian players who did jump ship at the start of 2020 and obviously following along into 2021 got Caitlin Ford, who plays for Arsenal, who's in the top team, youngest ever Australian representative who played in the World Cup in 2011 when she was 16 years old. Steph Cately also plays for Arsenal. And interesting to note about Steph Cately, she was one of the first ever women's players to feature on the cover of FIFA, the EA Sports video game. So she featured on the cover in 2016 alongside Lionel Messi and Tim Cahill. So one, amazing that, you know, 
multiple Australian players were featured on the cover of a of one of you know the world's best selling video games. But two, for, to be one of the first women as well, I think is a great a great achievement for exposure. Uh, we were just sort of talking about you know the increase in investment for women's sport and women's soccer in particular. You know that just sort of goes hand in hand over the past sort of five years that increase in exposure for women's sport, which I think is fantastic. Absolutely. We also have um, Lydia Williams, who has been inducted into the Aboriginal and Islander Sports Hall of Fame. She's a goalkeeper as well for the Matildas. And Kaya Simon, she plays for Tottenham Hotspur. In 2011, Simon became the first Indigenous Australian to score a goal in a FIFA World Cup. So both men and women involved in that as well. She was the first Indigenous Australian. Yeah, I think that's fantastic to be, you know, not not only the first Indigenous woman, but just to be the first Indigenous player is a great achievement for her. Also, too, with uh, Lydia Williams, she also plays for Arsenal. I'm not sure if you mentioned that, but yeah, so many players, so many Australian players are playing on that on that Arsenal team, which is incredible that a whole bunch of you know those those uh, girls are getting getting to a taste of like massive success, which I think is yeah really exciting. Speaking of a few more Australian players, we have a number of players in the Super League, like we just said. So we have a couple that play for Manchester City as well. We have Hayley Razzo and Alana Kennedy. They both play uh, currently for Manchester City. Kennedy's only just started playing for Manchester this season. So she's only had a couple of sort of small appearances and Manchester City are sort of struggling a little bit sort of at the start of this season. I mean, clearly that 5-0 loss against Arsenal is a, a big sign of that. We also have Mackenzie Arnold, who plays for for West Ham as well. So that's just a handful of players. I'm, I'm sure there are more. Yeah, really good Australian representation in the Super League. Considering there's only 12 teams as well, to have that many players from our tiny little tiny little country at the bottom of the world is pretty good. And also considering how big soccer is over in the US, for Australia to have that many players in the Super League, I think, again, yeah, is a really cool sort of point to make. Absolutely. And also important to note that all the players that we've just recently listed, they played in the Matildas roster for the Tokyo Olympics game. Yeah, the Tokyo Olympics was um, such a such a great little comp for, well, not little comp, <laughs> a great comp for uh, all of our all of our soccer players and for exposure for soccer um, and women's soccer, especially. It was just a bit heartbreaking that that end to that sort of run. We were playing so well, but just couldn't I think Sweden was our biggest our biggest stumbling block in that whole thing and um that was a bit heartbreaking towards the end of the Olympics there but one player that I'm sure a lot of listeners are probably thinking about why haven't you mentioned um Sam Kerr obviously is probably one of our biggest stars from Australia playing across you know many continents in soccer no absolutely she's um definitely one of the Australian favorites She's currently signed on with Chelsea and the team is currently sitting at third on the ladder with one loss to Arsenal and three wins to Everton, Manchester United and Brighton. She's currently the Golden Boot winner for the week and she has three Golden Boots. So she's basically, yeah, won a Golden Boot in every sort of major competition that she's played, which I think just goes to show that she's, you know, an absolute, an absolute goat. I think a lot of people saw that in the Olympics about how great of a player she was. She really dominated that. Um, Olympics and really held up the Australian side. During the Olympics, there's also been several sort of memes come out from Sam Kerr's camp, which I think is is hilarious. So during the Olympics, when we had like a couple of, of close games, obviously the the girls were, were quite excited and and uh, tweeting about how proud they were of themselves and and the team. And Sam Kerr tweeted out a 
pretty pretty like you know innocent tweet it was this team <laughs> excuse the language um and let's go so proud but she, something that she, I don't think she meant to do was she had posted the this team as a URL link and some some cheeky bugger <laughs> bought that URL and redirected it to a very funny video of a little girl going it's a goat and then followed by footage of curse scoring a perfect goal during the olympics lots of people thought it was hilarious including sam kerr herself she uh retweeted her original tweet with who did this to the link it's not the only only funny meme to come out of the olympics and come out of sam kerr i know we've also had the um meme that was unintentional from um, Sam Kerr and Christy Mewis's display of affection on the field. We had some people even replying, friendship has no boundaries, win or lose, friends are still friends, with some people replying, they're lesbians, Stacey. (laughs) Just stating out the obvious. I had to like sort of stereotype men here, but a lot of men were like, oh, such great sportsmanship. And a lot of boomers as well. We just love a good bit of sportsmanship. You know, this is what Australia is all about. Yeah. Uh, Like, you know, they're not wrong. It is definitely sportsmanship. Um, But uh, But they're also together. (laughs) I mean, maybe it's sportsmanship to the next level. Um, I'd like, (laughs) I'd like to point out that within this game, it was actually Australia versus the US and Kerr's partner plays for the US. So it wasn't like they, one of them just randomly like romped out onto the field, just have 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 a sit down after the game. They were playing against each other obviously it's very funny some of the memes and some of the responses that came out of that but I also think it's really lovely that we're at a point in life now where we can see public space of affection between LGBT people and the immediate reaction isn't necessarily vitriol I think that that's really a really like sort of great step we don't get a lot of representation especially in sport but just in media in general of LGBT relationships so speaking on Sam Kerr we've got her at the very top of the golden boot standings she's had five goals with one assist and she's had 13 shots at goal and a 62 percent shot accuracy yeah so definitely sort of on the back of her uh, amazing performance last season winning the golden boot she's at it again this year interesting enough too so she plays for Chelsea as we just stated before they've already played Arsenal and lost so it's not like even she's playing for a team that's you know four games in and completely dominated they have had a loss um so to get five goals and an assist across four games with one of your games being a loss against a really sort of informed team that's a pretty that's a pretty decent effort so that's really exciting to to see for uh, Australian sport we also have Vivian Medema. Um, she's tied with Kim Little, but Vivian Medema has four goals, two assists, and she's following close behind Sam Kerr with 12 shots at goal and a 67% shot accuracy. And with Kim Little, who is tied with Medema, she's had four goals with only six shots at a goal and a 83-shot accuracy. I think it's important to note, too, that both Medema and Little play for Arsenal. So they've had, a, you know, lots of opportunities. Again, we were just talking about earlier, Arsenal had a 5-0 win against Manchester City just recently. And in that game, Medema was able to score once and Little actually scored two of her four goals in that game alone. Yeah, it's it's looking like it's going to be a very, a very close top of the table, I should say, for that golden boot, at least it definitely is so far. Also too to note is that Medema was closely behind Kerr as well last year for the Golden Boot and Medema has won it twice did you say earlier pre-show? 
Yes, I believe so. Yeah, and she's one of the only players to win the Golden Boot twice in this league, I think. And then sort of like just to wrap up our little segment, our little sort of intro to the Women's Super League season, who are we looking out for in terms of players or games in the next little while? A player that I'm personally looking out for is Tobin Heath. She's signed into Arsenal this year. She's one of the star strikers for the USA national team and definitely one of the best players in women's soccer at the moment. And yeah, she signed on to Arsenal this year. So, you know, new team and the team is dominating. So she could definitely be a contributing factor. Yeah, definitely Arsenal is absolutely dominating the news over in Australia. I think I would say something to look out for would be Arsenal. And in particular for Australian fans, there's such a massive group of Australian players at Arsenal. And I think a reason why Arsenal might be playing so good at the start of this season, they have a huge core, a huge core of players that just come off playing together in the Olympics and having a pretty successful run at the Olympics with those Australian players. So I definitely think that might be contributing to Arsenal's absolute domination of the sort of start of the season. That's not to take away from Tottenham. Obviously Tottenham is, you know, in the same boat. But just Arsenal are really dominating all of the sort of news headlines about Super League in Australia at the moment. Sort of upcoming games, we are leading into a a break after this week, a month break for the Super League. But what are some games to look out for? So on the Saturday 9th of October at 11.30 Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, we've got Manchester United versus Manchester City. So Manchester United is currently fourth on the ladder with one loss and three wins. And Manchester City is currently ninth on the ladder with three losses and one win. So it's definitely leaning towards the Manchester United side, but you never know until game day. Manchester City do have like a pretty nasty list of injuries. I think that's contributing to their sort of start of the season being a bit poor. They just don't have the depth in their team that they might normally have. So I think I think I agree. I think it is looking at a Manchester United win, but yeah, a bit early in the season to sort of really tell how teams are going to sort of peter out over the, the course of the season. I think it'll be an interesting game to watch nonetheless, though, because it's like two two hometowns playing against each other pretty much. We do have other games happening um, over the weekend. So we have games happening very late Sunday evening for us. So there's a game at 10.30. Um, and then there's also a whole bunch of games sort of a couple of hours after that. So Sunday night into Monday morning, there are two games happening at midnight our time to midnight Eastern Daylight Saving Time. And then there are two games that start at 1am Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time. So there's lots to watch. If you're looking for all of our girls at Arsenal they're playing at 1am Monday morning and they're playing against Everton so maybe that's another one I would recommend watching do you have anything else that you're keeping your eye on Maria definitely just the Australian girls um in Arsenal like it's going to be a fun game against Everton you know just seeing them dominate I guess and just really bring home glory to the Australian name I guess Yeah, definitely. We do have a bit of a break between this weekend full of matches and the next sort of group of matches. So um, after this weekend, you won't be catching any of the Barclays Super League until the start of November. So there's a month break. But yeah, there's plenty, plenty of football coming your way over the next few months. So if you are looking to watch any of the football matches, if you're lucky enough to have an Optus plan, all of the matches can be found on Optus Sport and a 
fair chunk of the Optus plans, both for mobile and home broadband, come with Optus Sport for free. Otherwise, you can sign up to Optus Sport for a small fee per month, depending on if you're an Optus customer or not an Optus customer, changes the fee. But if you're looking for anything international soccer, whether that's Premier League, Super League, the Japanese League, all of that can be found on Optus Sport. So thanks, Marielle, for jumping on and joining me for a quick sort of brief overview of the start of the Super League. Oh, good. Thank you, Jess. Next, Jess is joined by Hayden to talk about the upcoming ICC Men's T20 World Cup. So the 2021 ICC Men's T20 World Cup is finally scheduled to take place on October the 17th to November the 14th. It's been a bit of a journey. We were supposed to have a T20 Men's World Cup in October of last year, sort of following from the Women's World Cup that was at the beginning of the year. But obviously, <laughs> something something really major happened uh, called COVID and made that absolutely untenable. Yeah, and then uh, it's then been rescheduled again. So it went to India and, of course, uh, something called COVID got involved again. The tournament will now go ahead in Amman and the UAE, both not really known for their cricketing prowess, each nation. But uh, they will be hosting the tournament with uh, India still recognised as the the host nation. And so going to be interesting to see how so many teams go at, uh, at, at a neutral venue. Definitely. All is not lost for Australia in terms of hosting the T20 Men's World Cup. We will host the succeeding 2022 tournament. I think with the UAE and that sort of area geographically has been a real saving grace for global sport over the past sort of 18 months. A lot of different qualifying events for a lot of different sports, like tennis is one of them that I you know, can say off the top of my head, that has been held in the UAE and like sort of around that area geographically. And I know the IPL is currently being played over in the UAE as well. So thank goodness that uh, <laughs> there's somewhere in the world that is safer sport to sort of continue on. Good on the UAE. So Australia is a part of the sort of Super 12s stage of the competition. So we don't have to play in that initial group stage. We've sort of qualified a little bit past that point, which is good news for Australia. Yeah, the, uh, the, the Big 12 goes straight through and we'll have the group stage to kick off the tournament between some of the smaller nations. So there's two pools of, uh, of four and then the, the top nations in each of those pools will go through to the Super 12s and, and make up the final two spots. So it will be interesting to see how those teams go. One of the notable teams in that group stage is Sri Lanka. So normally a, a staple of the big competitions, a, a World Cup winner, of course, in 1996 at the 50 over game, not straight through to the Super 12s, have to have to qualify. You'd imagine they'll be able to do it, but always interesting, Afghanistan have taken their spot, um, an up and coming nation. It's really exciting for Afghanistan to sort of be in that position and be in, in that sort of Super 12. A lot of these positions and things were decided well before the COVID-19 pandemic or indeed, you know, other political situations across the globe at the moment. But it's, it's really good to see sort of some, a spot of brightness for a country like Afghanistan, given what's going on over there at the moment. So I'm really happy and really excited for them. Returning back to uh, Australia really quick, in terms of like our sort of lead in running into the uh, T20 World Cup, we're currently sitting in seventh place in the ICC T20 rankings going into the World Cup. And we've actually never won one. We've won other World Cups in other formats for cricket. But in terms of a T20, we don't have one. I don't know whether this will be the year it's done, but 
certainly we'll give it our, our best shot. As you mentioned, the lead-in probably hasn't been one that uh, that we would have wanted for the squad with some of the players underperforming, in particular Dave Warner, who recently in the IPL has been dropped after making zero and two. And that comes after he was stripped of the captaincy for his side as well. So he's been struggling. The same thing could be said for, for Steve Smith. Yeah, Steve Smith has been dropped even earlier than David Warner from his own IPL uh, side. I think he's only played two matches since May. And uh, notable that Steve Smith was dropped by the coach, uh, Ricky Ponting. So very interesting there. (laughs) One uh, former Australian captain dropping another. I guess like, you know, there's no friends in sport sometimes and and you've got to make, you know, decisions that aren't necessarily what's in your heart. If if Steve Smith's uh, form's been, you know, just as bad as Warner, sorry, I do not blame Ponting for for dropping Steve Smith from the side. Speaking of not getting a lot of practice in, our captain Aaron Finch has also not got a huge amount of practice in the lead into the T20 World Cup. He's just come back from knee surgery. I'm not sure exactly what kind of knee surgery, but as someone personally who's had a knee surgery this year, they're not fun to come back from. And I'm not even, you know, a professional athlete. So it took me a long time to, to sort of get fit from that. And I can't imagine that's a great lead-in for a uh, international competition. Not at all. I mean, he's, he's rushed back. So only three weeks between having the surgery and then getting back into the nets to, to practice. So obviously keen to get some form leading into the tournament, but certainly not an ideal lead-up. No. Um, another person who, who hasn't had a lot of competition time leading into the T20 is Mitchell Stark. Since coming back from some of our previous international comps earlier in the year, he has been practicing up in Queensland alongside the Australian women's team, but hasn't had much of a chance, you know, to face, you know, balls in competition. Going to be interesting to see how, how the Australians go, but still have to be considered as, as as a top chance. You can't write players like that off, although they haven't had the best lead in. On paper, it's still a very strong side. And we have had some that, that have performed pretty well in the IPL as well, haven't we? Yeah, definitely. Not all is lost for our Australian team in terms of form. Glenn Maxwell and Josh Hazelwood have been in fantastic form for their respective IPL franchises that are currently playing over in the UAE. So that's really good news. Not only... Um, Um, the fact that they're in good form, but they're currently playing in the UAE in the lead up, which means that they'll be nice and acclimatized. They won't have to face, you know, any of those, you know, strict quarantine measures. And so you won't have any of those effects of jet lag or quarantine fatigue on their bodies, hopefully. It'd be nice to see a guy like Glenn Maxwell get a real run at it and it'd be good to see him. He's, he's been one of those that has been left out in other formats of the games by the selectors. And it'd be, it'd be great to see him, come into the World Cup in good form and and take it to the world. And, and he's capable of it. He's always shown that he's capable of it. It'd be lovely to see him do it. Speaking of sort of teams and form, you know, more broadly from Australia, a couple of uh, sort of big cricket names internationally have a few big ambitions. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one, of, one of the sides that uh, really looks different is the South African side. Not many notable players in there, in, including uh, Faf Duplessis, who's been dominating in the IPL as of late. He's actually scored 460 runs and averaging just under 40 in the competition, but won't be playing for South Africa. And the same goes for Imran Tahir. So South Africa 
are um, would, would be considered a smoky for this. In fact, you probably couldn't even consider them a smoky. I, I don't like their chances at all with some of the names that are out. I think also too, they're sitting uh, fifth currently in the ICC T20 rankings, but Considering all of those emissions from the team, I don't think that the team that they're bringing to the World Cup is a fifth-placed team. No, absolutely not. I I think that ranking uh, will change once the tournament's over. (laughs) Other big emission for England. England are currently sitting at number one on the rankings and they look very poised to come in and take the competition. However, they're missing Ben Stokes. He's uh, out indefinitely on mental health leave so that's unfortunate to hear and I hope he's doing okay but huge omission for England yeah Stokes I mean we know what he can do I mean not just the short format of the game and he can play the long format of the game like it's a short format England side is is obviously better with Ben Stokes in they still have a pretty strong unit when you look at them on paper uh, Jason Roy has been uh, has been fantastic uh, they'll have Joe Root and um, Moeen Ali, who's just retired from, from tests, has been pretty handy in the IPL as of late as well. I, I still think they're in with a really good chance, but glaring omission, not having Stokes coming in in that, uh, that middle order spot. Mm, definitely. They're also missing Jofra Archer um, to an elbow injury, I believe. So another sort of big name. And I know that Archer and Stokes were two really important players when England won their 50 over World Cup in 2019 so yeah a couple of big names missing but I guess a lot of teams are in that position so may that level at the playing field for everybody including Australia are there any players that you've got your eye on well I think Andre Russell's been in in cracking form in the in the 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 IPL as of late as well he's managed to get figures of five for 15 and three for nine so far in this year's tournament and he's also pretty handy with the bat we see him come down here and he's he's a big imposing figure he walked past me once down at uh, on Flinders Street and um almost blocked out the sun he's a big man and uh so (laughs) Uh, I, it wouldn't be surprising to see him dominate again. Always like watching the West Indies play and, and he's an anchor of that side. So Andre Russell for me. For me, I think Rashid Khan from Afghanistan is a really surprising player to watch. He is so young. He's only 23 and he's achieved so much in his career for 23. It's kind of ridiculous across all formats of the game. He's really adaptable. He can sort of adapt himself to many different conditions, many different playing styles, many different formats of the game. And his opposing batters find it really tricky to sort of pick up what he's going to do next. And if they do manage to figure it out, he just switches it up and, um, you know, you know, confuses them again. I think also too, um, the conditions that are expected at the World Cup are definitely very conducive to his, uh, you know, preferred style of of bowling and again he's also pretty handy with a bat so he's very dangerous you've got to you've got to be on on top of that definitely it's always great watching uh Rashid come in when when a team needs to just top up the runs that they've got and just watch him fling the bat at, at pretty much everything yeah definitely like we said earlier on in the episode the World Cup is being held from October 17th to November the 14th. So in terms of matches, are there any matches that you've got your eye on? Yeah, so England versus Australia is the one that I'm, I'm looking forward to, of course. Uh, 
in in preparation for the Ashes. It's going to be really interesting, not just because uh, it's it's Australia versus England and, and the biggest rivalry, or, or maybe the second biggest rivalry in world cricket, but also what's been happening off the field in in the lead up to the Ashes and and the drama surrounding the things that Tim Payne has said about the fact that the Ashes will go ahead uh, if, if Joe is on the plane or not. Uh, it, it, it could get pretty heated out there, and that's certainly one game that I'm uh, I'm penciling in. The only downside of it is that it starts at one a.m. in the morning. So, yeah, <laughs> is there is there a game that uh, that stands out for you? There definitely is. Just uh, just quickly for all of our listeners, um, that game is on the thirty first of October. Um, for anyone that is keen to watch that game, um, like you said, at 1am. Also spooky because it's on Halloween. You know, you're getting up at 1am on Halloween, a bit of those spooky vibes. Got to gotta keep an eye out while you watch that. <laughs> In terms of matches that I'm really looking forward to, um, the first one that I am keen on is actually Australia's first match in the Super 12 group stages, which is against South Africa. Um, and that's on the 23rd of October at 9pm Australian Daylight Saving Time. I find that it's one of the greatest modern rivalries in cricket. They are they have very similar playing styles. And South Africa is also the first team to beat Australia at home in 16 years when they beat us in um, over the 2008-2009 period. So I feel like Australia has a little bit of a, of a thorn in their side over some matches that are played here. Should be interesting. Yeah, both those games sound, uh, sound mouth-watering. And if you're not looking to watch Australia for whatever reasons that you have, another pick for me would be India versus Pakistan on the 25th of October. This, again, is another one of those 1am Australian Daylight Saving Time games. So, you know, you either got to stay up really late or, you know, get up really early to watch it. But I think it's definitely worth it. These two uh, nations don't really see eye to eye at all, <laughs> both politically, culturally, and definitely on the sporting field. Both of those teams look pretty good as well. Uh, India will go in favourites, but uh, that, that'll be a, a ripping game. And, and maybe one more to, to mention would be uh, the day before on the 24th of October, England playing the West Indies. So the defending champs, the West Indies, we know how much that they prepare for the short format game. That's uh, that's the way they, they've gone, not just in recent years, probably for the last decade. They, they definitely, their players prefer the, the shorter format. Defending chance against England, who uh, who have a very strong side going in, minus Ben Stokes, as we touched on earlier. But England, uh, the second favourite to win the tournament at the moment, and uh, they're playing the West Indies, who are the defending champions. So that'll be a cracker. Yeah, again, another one of those 1am. They seem to, they seem to be scheduling all of the fantastic matches at 1am <laughs> yeah. um, our time. They just don't want us to watch cricket. <laughs> That's the logical explanation for it is that they don't want us to watch cricket. Um, <laughs> that's why they've done it. Pretty poor of them, really. I know, terrible. I'm um, going to pencil in a complaint to the manager. <laughs> I know. I threw out my VCR, so I'm not sure how I'm going to record it, but uh, we'll find a way. <laughs> uh, speaking of where to watch and recording, if you're looking to watch the T20 World Cup, if you're lucky enough to have pay TV, Fox Cricket will be broadcasting the T20 World Cup over October and November. They will most definitely be playing pretty much all of Australia's matches as well as a selection of other sort of big matches. If you're looking for a little bit more comprehensive coverage, KO Sports, if you uh, subscribe to KO, you'll also have access to all of the games throughout the tournament. Do we have any final words to wrap us up? Final words would be, look, with the T20 World Cup, 
you can't really count anyone out. It's it's always so close. Just because India and uh, and England are hot favourites, uh, don't be surprised to see a team that's uh, that's outside that top three, uh, top four of the ICC rankings really give it a shake. I agree. I would say as my like parting words for everybody listening, that if you've got family and you've got friends and they hate cricket and you want to get them into cricket, this is one of the competitions to do so. It's short form, so they're not going to be sitting there for hours on and being like, why, like what's happening? I don't understand. Or this is going on too long. I'm bored. It's nice and quick and it's nice and rapid fire. And also the T20, it tends to be a little bit more on the entertainment factor, both in the way that players play. They also tend to bring some more entertainment sort of flavor into it. If you've ever seen the Big Bash domestically in Australia, there's lots of musical performances. There's lots of fireworks. There's lots of excitement going on outside of the actual game itself. Yes, get everyone watching the cricket. That's what we need. Yeah, the only thing working against this is uh, that 1am Australia is not allowed to watch cricket, Ben. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I didn't realise that was part of uh, the COVID restrictions, but there you go. <laughs> Alrighty. Thank you so much, Hayden, for jumping on and having a bit, a bit of a chat about the cricket with me. No worries. This episode was hosted by myself, Ben Millard, and presented by Marielle Laxamana, Jessica Canty and Hayden McCurtish. Our editor is Emily Anderson and our album artwork is by Emily Lee. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Swin Journalism, Instagram at Swinburne Journalism or on our website theswinstandard.net. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.